every single one of us, everyone, is in fact living on a prayer. Tell your neighbor, like you mean it, like it's the week after Easter and you get extra credit for coming to church, you're living on a prayer. Now, the Christian life, the, the, the Christian faith begins with the presupposition that we're all living, that we are created by God, by, by authority of a divine directive, that we're here because of what some people call the higher power. And I understand why that term gets used, but I think higher power actually does a gross disservice to who God is because that higher power is not just a higher power. Number one, he is the highest power. Second of all, the highest power is highly personal. He is absolutely relational in, in, his, in the core of his nature. Whatever you want to believe about God, start with the fact that God does not just love, but that he is love. And as an expression of his love, he's created you, he's created me for the purposes of knowing and being known, of loving and being loved, that we're created for this relationship. That's why you have life. That's why I have breath in my lungs. It's because God has created us for this relationship. And so we are, in fact, living on a prayer. Now, for the next few weeks, we're going to take some iconic songs like that and use them to kickstart a conversation about the true essence of the gospel. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to live in as well as to live out this thing called the gospel? If you saw the movie Lone Survivor, you're, you're familiar with the name Marcus Luttrell, retired Navy SEAL. The movie tells the story of the firefight that he endured with three other SEAL teammates on a hillside in Afghanistan. All three of Marcus's teammates were killed in that battle. He barely survived, escaping to become the lone survivor. But the book that became the movie has some incredible details that the movie couldn't get into. One of the things that Marcus relates in the book, Lone Survivor, is the facts around SEAL training. Navy SEALs and what they go through when they go through BUDS, and then they go through phase two of their training. And of course, now most of us are familiar. We've seen TV shows and documentaries about what SEALs endure physically, all of the flutter kicks and the push-ups and the mile after mile after mile running, the, the learning how to swim underwater at night and navigate. It's a staggering array of disciplines that they develop as they go through SEAL training. I, I thought about that just real quick. Can you imagine swimming in the ocean at night? How many of you would get in Lake Austin at night? I, I'm, I'm not doing it. And last I checked, there were no sharks in Lake Austin. These guys swim underwater for miles, navigating to checkpoints to get to objectives underwater with sharks and who knows what else is underneath there at night. These people are different than you and me. Thank God that we have them on our side and they go through the training that they go through. But what I found fascinating in Marcus's retelling of the SEAL training system was that for all of the SEAL doctrine of warfare that they had to learn, 
All of the ways they had to learn to drive under duress, how they had to learn to swim, how they had to learn different weapon systems. They had to be familiar with the enemy's weapons, so if they found any on the battlefield, they could then use those on and on and on. For all of the expertise, for all of the physical stamina that they develop, Marcus says that the number one doctrine in a SEAL's training is the doctrine of team, that they have to learn, they have to develop and cultivate the idea that whatever they do, they must do it together, that the idea of team is the single greatest part of a SEAL's training. In order for them to be able to then live it out on the battlefield where it matters the most. I thought about that when I thought about the gospel. Because the gospel is the essence, the core of the Christian faith. The gospel just means the good news of Jesus. And yet, it is in the gospel that we have to cultivate. We have to develop. We have to learn how to incorporate that into our lives so that not only do we live in the gospel, but we also live out the gospel so that our lives reflect the character and the nature and the personality of God himself. That's what this is all about. Now, when we use the word gospel, I think it's important for us to understand exactly what it is that we're talking about, particularly as we use a little Bon Jovi reference to talk about living on a prayer. John chapter 3, verse 16 I think is probably the clearest expression of the gospel in the Bible. There are, of course, a lot of others, and really the entire Bible is the story of the gospel, the good news. But this is what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. For God so loves the world. So it, it, all, it all starts with God. He is God and we are not, and we celebrate that fact. If you've read Pastor Rick Warren's classic, The Purpose Driven Life, the first sentence in The Purpose Driven Life is one of the greatest in the history of written word. The first sentence says this, it's not about you. That's a great reminder, isn't it? You, you ought to like, turn to your neighbor and with a smile on your face, Tell them, it ain't about you. Some of y'all might have enjoyed that a little too much, like <laughs> kind of going back to maybe a disagreement that we had yesterday on the soccer field or something. But it's not about you. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. God kicked this whole thing off. And, and as we said, it, it is all about the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Just in that little phrase, you see, number one, who did it? You see, number two, what he did, he gave his son. You see why he did it? Because he loves you. Because he loves me by name. God knows you. He, he knows, the Bible says he knows the number of hairs on your head. He loves you, and therefore he gave his only son. Now, reading between the lines, we know also that he gave his son because you and I have a sin problem. And that's what Jesus went to the cross and rose again to alleviate through his resurrection. 
Jesus demonstrated and facilitated the amazing grace of God being applied to the lives of anyone who would follow him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him, whoever, turn to your other neighbor who's your second choice and tell them you're a whoever. Here's what's so beautiful about this. This discussion of the gospel over the next few weeks, this study of God's word, is a great follow-up to Easter. It's a great follow-up. Here's what's fascinating. I want you to look around the room right now. Everybody just kind of take a look around, look, look up to the top corner, the up corner up there, look around. Easter was last weekend. There were a couple more folks here last week than are here this week. Now, I'm not ripping on them. That, that's great that they were here last week. We celebrate that. I promise you I'm not. But what I am saying is that you are brilliant, that you get extra credit because you're following up. You're following through what happened at Easter. Tell your neighbor like you mean it. You're genius. You see, how many of y'all, I'm, I'm curious, how many of y'all have ever played organized basketball? Let me see a show of hands if you've ever played basketball. Okay, you know if you shoot the rock, if you shoot, the first time you ever shot a basketball, most of us launched it. Most of us threw it, but really great shooters, and we know, I know, I said we, <laughs> really great shooters, what are, you follow through, you follow through, you pop that wrist, you put those fingers in the bucket, that's how you make the ball go where it's supposed to go. We follow through on Easter on the celebration of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we follow through by how we live out the gospel, how we make it a reality in our lives, day in and day out. And it's imperative that we understand what it really and truly is. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Colossians chapter number one. Colossians chapter one is Paul's letter to the church in the town of Colossae. Now, when Paul is writing this letter in the first century AD, Colossae is an interesting town. It's not a, a big economic center or a, a place of strategic political importance like, like Ephesus was. As a matter of fact, Colossae is kind of on its, on its downward trajectory as far as it being a, an important city. But there is this fledgling church there, the Colossians, and Paul is writing to them explaining how to live out this gospel, this good news of Jesus. And the, the Colossians had a unique spiritual environment. They, they had a, there was a lot going on spiritually and religiously in the city of Colossae. There, there were people there who were, who were Jewish by their background and their nature and, and their traditions of worship. There were obviously some new Christians, but there were also some people who worshiped, I mean, just some crazy kind of pantheistic, way out there kind of stuff. There was even a, a sect of, of people who worshiped angels. And all of these different strains of spirituality and religion were kind of, kind of merging to create this this incoherent mosh pit of, of spiritual belief and religious practice. And so Paul is writing into this to help them understand what is actually real, what is actually true. 
And as I was reading this and, and thinking about it, I thought, that actually sounds a lot like Austin, doesn't it? How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual? <laughs> or, or they'll say, you know, I, I, there's some things of Buddhism that I kind of like over here, but I like some parts of Christianity too, and there's some, I'm kind of into Kabbalah and, and Judaism over here. That's kind of cool. And so these kind of this picking and choosing this, this gumbo of spirituality. I had somebody tell me one time, and I promise you, I'm not making this up. I had somebody tell me one time, I am a Buddhist Christian. I said, I love you. I like you. No, you're not. You, there's no such thing as a Buddhist Christian. If you're Buddhist, you're not Christian. And if you're Christian, you're not Buddhist. Now, we, we love everyone. We can learn. There's definitely some overlap. Most of the world religions have an expression of the golden rule, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Most of that. But, but the simple fact of the matter is not everything is true. Not everything is true. If I stood up here and said that my sermon today is built around the fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4, some of you would go, you preach that word, brother. Two plus two equals four. Yes, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But if I said two plus two can also, it can equal six. You'd be like, bruh, what's up? You, you, you're, you're running down some wrong roads. The reality is that truth, many times, truth is inconvenient. Truth, many times, is just a hard reality. I think about when, I, when, when Julie and I get our bill from like American Express every month. That, that's just a hard truth. Some months harder than others. But whatever they say we owe, assuming our card hasn't been ripped off and no identity theft has happened, if we racked up those charges, that's what we owe. That's the truth. I can't call up American Express and go, you know what? My wife has a truth different from my truth. <laughs> my truth is that, that I, I spent $100 this month, and her truth is that she spent $600. American Express says, well, your collective truth is $700. <laughs> truth is truth. What's real is actually real. And, and so it, it, it actually matters what we believe, what we, what we orient our lives around. And that's what Paul is trying to get over to the church there, the, these Colossians. But there's a reason why the Holy Spirit made sure that this letter was included in the canon of Scripture so that we would have it to hold on to 2,000 years later, that this truth would still be relevant and worth anchoring our lives in. Here's what the Bible says, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Paul, Paul is kind of launching into this by saying, it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. Look at what he says. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He, he was a human being here on earth. We could see him. 
He's the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. You see, there, there is a spiritual reality that is beyond the physical reality that we perceive with our eyes. There, there are spiritual realities in this world, and it all starts with Jesus. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's because Jesus has always been and he will always be the son of the living God. That Jesus is this loving God. That that's who he is. That that's, that's what he does. That's who he is. That's, that's why we know he is who he says he is. That, that now, here's, here's what's weird for me, and I don't know if you're like this, but when I think about eternity, I think about forever and, and living forever, and for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever believes in him will never die, but will have eternal life. I can, I can conceive of that, but when I think about having no beginning, when I think about the fact that God has always been, that Jesus just has always been, that's like, that fries a circuit in my little brain. I don't know if you're like that or not. But he is who he said he was. He has always been there. So the fact that it all starts with Jesus means that he is worth starting every part of our lives with. What I mean by that is if you will orient, if I will orient every single thing that we do around the person of Jesus in a relationship with Jesus, Every single part of life works better. It all starts with Jesus. Now, we, we, we know that on Sunday when we come to church, but, but think about when you get up and go to work or go to school tomorrow. What if you were to wake up in the morning and your first thought were Jesus? Your, your first reason to get out of bed and put your feet on the ground was Jesus. To, to get up and go to work, to get up and... and Maybe study for the test that you didn't study for today. What if everything in your life would just start with Jesus? That, that that would be the reason why you did everything that you did. Here's what I've noticed in my own life. When everything starts with Jesus, I don't have enough time to do the stuff I shouldn't be doing. You know, think about this. Is there anybody here, like let's say since last Sunday, Easter we were all here probably more or less, but... Anybody since last Sunday who has committed a sin, even, even one, if you've committed a sin since last, this is family, you can raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand right now, I just need you to know our insurance policy does not cover strikes of lightning because of wrath. Get your hand up. And a lot of the, the sin that, that kind of bogs us down that we sometimes keep going back to it's because we're not proactively orienting our lives around. We're not starting with Jesus. If we would begin work, I've noticed this. Julie and I have been married almost 28 years. Blissfully, we've had a couple of moments. She corrected me. We got better, and I went on my way. But we've been married for 28 years. I have noticed when I 
husband Julie the way I think God wants me to husband Julie. Everything works better. Everything <laughs> works better. It just, it's like, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, start with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. Not only does it all start with Jesus, it all works because of Jesus. It all works. Look at what Paul says here. In verse 16, the last part of it, he says, everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. He existed before anything else. We've already touched on that, but he holds it all together. The reason the earth keeps spinning at the right speed, the axis is tilted at the right angle, is ultimately because Jesus holds it all together. He holds it all together. Do me a favor. I want everybody to do this real quick. Everybody kind of sit up straight for just a hot second. Act like you're not falling asleep. And everybody kind of take in a deep breath and just hold it for, until I tell you to let it go. Okay, now when I tell you to let go, let go through your nose. Now, this is not a yoga class, but I told you to do that because I bet a lot of you have had coffee and don't nobody want you breathing that on the back of their neck. <laughs> but the breath that you just inhaled and held onto and then exhaled, you don't deserve. You have done nothing. I have done nothing to deserve the air in our lungs. Jesus holds it all together. Everything works because Jesus holds it all together. He is the center that holds. But don't we, don't we kind of know? Don't we kind of know that even though everything is kind of held together, there's still a lot of hurt. There's still a lot of pain. There's still a lot of brokenness in this world that is still being held together by Jesus. It all works because of Jesus, but it's all broken. It's all tainted by sin. Your sin, my sin. When sin entered the world, it affected everything. This is why Jesus went to the cross. If you, if you doubt that, never forget the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, it was because of the brokenness of sin, the lies of sin. This is what Paul says in verse 19 and going forward. He says, now God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. So sin separates us from God. Our brokenness separates us from a holy and complete righteous God. That's that's not a fun thing. I, I'm not one of these preachers who likes to preach about sin and hell. <laughs> I don't, I don't get, I don't, that's, I don't enjoy that at all. But it's real. And it's, 
It's damaging to every single thing, to every single life that it touches. It's, it's, not, it's not, oops, mistakes were made. Sin is ultimately the difference between life and death. Now, again, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus Christ through the cross and his resurrection has reconciled everyone who would believe in him so that they might never die, but they will have eternal life. So yes, everything is broken by sin, but it is all repaired by Jesus. It is all made whole, made new. The Bible says that in Christ Jesus, all things are made new. The old has gone and the new has come. This is a new life in Jesus. This is our hope. This is, this is why we say that the gospel is absolutely good news. Now, I don't, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey or, or what challenges maybe you walked in the door carrying, but I do know this. Jesus is available. Jesus is accessible. This is what it means to be really and truly in the Christian context living on a prayer. I, I sent a text to, to Mark Luttrell, and I told him I was going to be talking about him in the service today. Is that okay? Because when you're talking to a Navy SEAL, you ask. <laughs> I told him I was going to be talking about what he talked about through SEAL training. And he sent this back. He said, through sacrifice, our bonds grow and strengthen. Pain and chaos are a matter of perspective to the one going through it. Walking through any adversity with a partner is much easier than to walk alone, even when walking in the light of our king. The game of life is designed to be tough and complicated. It is for that very reason the rewards at the end are so amazing. Faith in God keeps us humble. There can be no glory without sacrifice. Marcus nailed that. Not because he went through buds or was a Navy SEAL, but because that's what the truth of Scripture tells us. If you're here today and you want to step into a relationship with Jesus, we want to give you the opportunity to do that, to begin, to step into that newness, to that good news. It is the gospel. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. It's brief, but it's sacred because God's moving in people's lives. And so I want to ask you, if you've never stepped over that line of faith, why not right now? Just begin in the biblical sense, living on a prayer. By praying, just silently talk to God, say something like this, just, 
in your own words, silently from your heart to his, say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And so I confess my sin to you, all of it. In order to claim your forgiveness, all of it. Jesus, I will follow you from this moment forward with everything that I have. And I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for another moment. But if that was your prayer, As a church, we want to help with what comes next. That prayer is a beginning. It's a once and for all moment, but it's the beginning of a relationship with God. It's a beginning of being a part of the family of faith. And so, if you would, just right where you're sitting, would you take out the program that you got when you came in, open it up, and just begin filling out that connect card that's there? Fill it out with your name and contact information. There's about a third of the way down, you'll see a place there that says, I committed my life to Christ this week. And when you mark that and then turn that card in in a few minutes, that starts a conversation, a conversation so that we can come alongside and just help. We want to be a family of faith with you. At whatever pace works for you, just take that card, and once you finish it, you can fold it up, and when we dismiss in a few minutes, just hand it to one of our ushers or our hosts, or you can hand it to one of the folks who are at the hub underneath the big front porch. Second thing I want to ask you to do, if you would, as our heads are bowed, would you just raise your hand high over your head? Just hold it up there for a minute. Your hand in the air is just a physical statement of that spiritual commitment that you made in response to the grace initiative of Jesus. And so you kind of stamp this moment in your life, in the life of this church. And our family tradition is you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.